0: Welcome to the podcast for creating true wealth and a lasting legacy as a result of effectively managing financial wealth, creating purposeful impact and ensuring succession and continuation. Everyone wants to live a life full of purpose and meaning and leave a positive legacy, yet so many people just drift along and never really ask the underlying questions. The purpose of this podcast is to share insights and strategies that allow you to find and define your purpose to create the lasting legacy you want for yourself and for generations to come. We get one life and opportunity to make a real and meaningful impact and find true wealth. This is the True Wealth Project Podcast with your host, Sasha Janssen. Subscribe to this podcast to never miss an episode and don't forget to also subscribe to the True Wealth newsletter to receive educational content and action steps to help you find your purpose and create the legacy you want to leave. I'm your host, Sasha Janssen, and today I want to welcome Denise Logan. Denise is an award-winning professional speaker and author of The Seller's Journey, a business fable about navigating the emotional obstacles to selling your business. Known as the Seller Whisperer, she draws upon a 20-year body of work focused on the intersection of work, money, and meaning, and how it is reflected in the legacies of today's business leaders. She has addressed audiences on three continents about the psychology of business owners and how to make it easier when the time comes to let go. From more than 500 stages, Denise has shifted perspectives for business owners and their advisors to keep people and deals from falling apart during the single largest transaction of their professional life, while restoring meaning to the equation. Denise spent a dozen years building and leading a Washington, D.C. area law firm before she exited and had to become cozy with her own unique answer to the question, what do I do with myself now? Hello, Denise. Welcome to the True Wealth Project podcast.
1: It's so nice to be with you, Sasha. Thanks for well, including me.
0: It's lovely to have you here. And um, I'm not even uh, sure where, where to start because um, I, I just see so many aspects and angles that we could talk about um, in, in terms of building true wealth, which is what this show is all about, of course. Um, but maybe maybe we can start with your book, The Seller's Journey. Um, I mean, you were kind enough to let me have a copy in advance um, unfortunately, unfortunately, it only arrived yesterday, so I, I haven't had a chance to fully read it. But I did have a, a you know, a, a flick through it, and um, to be honest, I got stuck in the first chapter basically because, um, and I don't want to spoil the experience for for our listeners when they read the book, but um, or before they read the book. But basically, it it, it opens with a question that um, in my experience is, is really rarely discussed openly when it comes to the matter of business or wealth, succession and transition. And that is basically uh, the question, who am I if I'm not a business or wealth owner? Uh, or in other word, words, as you said, um, you know, what the hell am I supposed to do then? <laughs> and you know, that, that, that is, uh, to me, it's, it's, it's like a, an elephant in the room type of question that is rarely addressed openly. And um, well, I mean, as I mentioned in the introduction, you had to find the answer for yourself to that question. And maybe that's a good starting point. Maybe you can tell us a little bit more about your own personal journey on how you uh, found the answer.
1: I'd love to start there. That's always fun. So I started my life as a mental health professional, and then I became a lawyer. And I often joke that if I was a really good mental health professional, I would have kept myself from becoming a lawyer, because that wasn't as much fun as I okay. thought it would be. <laughs> so I spent a dozen, being a lawyer, yeah. So I I spent the next dozen years building a law firm in Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. and I reached a point where I realized I had lost myself in my business. And my Mm -hmm. business had taken over most of my identity. Mm -hmm. I see that with lots of clients now as well. So I reached a point where it was time. You know, honestly, Sasha, I woke up one day and thought I would rather put a stick in my eye than go to work one more day. Mm -hmm. I'm sick of it, and I don't know how to get out, and I don't know how to stay in. Uh I wish there had been someone like me at that time to help guide me through that process. Instead, I did a super ugly, choppy exit to my own business. Mm-hmm. got rid of my house and bought a motor home and I took off for what I thought would be six wow. months to clear my head yeah. and turned into several years where I traveled all over North and Central America Oh. In my motor home, with the little car I towed behind and two little dogs. We could have a whole separate conversation about what that <laughs> several-year period was like, and super fun. But I came off the road after several years and reconnected with a longtime friend of mine who had a business. And he was preparing his business for sale. Mm-hmm. He said, why don't you join us and help us figure out how to exit? And over the next 10 years, we took that business to the market three times and Uh he could not let go. And I thought, isn't this interesting? You could be me and wait too long and be ready to just give it away. Or you could be him and go too early and not be prepared to let go. And so after those 10 years, I took off and did a lengthy research study where I looked at what was happening for the li- in the lives of business owners. What made it hard for them to decide when to go and to uh-huh. let go? And that was a little more than 11 years ago. And so for the last 11 years, I've worked one-on-one with business owners and their advisors to help navigate that transition. And then a couple of years ago, I wrote The Seller's Journey, and have been out on the road speaking and writing and talking about the psychology of business owners and how that weaves in to create a legacy from our work
0: yeah oh that's interesting and, and uh, maybe before we go on to the to the legacy aspect which uh, which i'm really interested in uh, but why do you think um why do you think so many sellers are unprepared or are too early or too late in in, in that process how does that happen? I mean, is it, is it something that they don't really um, do intentionally, or what's the reason?
1: I think it's, it is, as business owners, we almost forget to prepare for the exit. Hmm. So I'll use a, a metaphor. You know, with our children, we don't wait until they turn 18. And on that day, ask them, so what will you do with yourself? We prepare them to launch. We're talking to them from the time they're little about what life will be like in different stages as they progress. And yet there is a myth that has arisen that somehow as adults, we will know when it's time to launch. And that's both as a business owner or even as someone who is working in a company and preparing for retirement. Mm-hmm. You know, and hear clients say, I'm not going to retire. I'm just not going to do it. Or I'll die at my desk. I wrote a column a couple of months ago called, Is Dying at Your Desk Noble or Tragic? Uh, That's where I land on the, on the answer to that question. But I really look at what are some of the stumbling blocks keep us from yeah. preparing. So, you know, retirement for us will not look like retirement for our parents and grandparents. We're not going to be satisfied um, playing golf and waiting for our favorite television show to come on in the evening and think that was a satisfying retirement.
0: Well, I think, I think that's something that is inherent in being an entrepreneur too, isn't it? Because you know, entrepreneurs are all about doing things and, and, and making an impact re- really. And it's just not their second nature to just sit around and wait.
1: No, there's an interesting thing that I often ask. So what does work provide for you? Other than money, because money is usually the first answer that we get, but you and I could have a, a conversation about that, and your listeners will obviously be asking themselves, take a pen and paper right now and just try to create 10 to 12 to 15 distinct answers as to what work provides for you. Mm-hmm. So money is one. What else does work provide for you, Sasha? Sasha?
0: Um, personal connections, Ryan. relationships to, you know, business partners, uh, uh, team members, etc.
1: For many of our business owners, and even for our non-business owner listeners, this is exactly true. Our friends are our employees, or coworkers, or customers, or vendors. And so thinking about where will I get that friendship and connection need met, Outside of work. Yeah. Other things, right? It's a place to go to get away from your spouse. Certainly <laughs> during this recent coronavirus time, we've all been saying, oh, please let me out of the house. Well, let me go somewhere. You can't
0: else. say that publicly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you and I don't have that experience, but perhaps some of our listeners yeah. might have that. Yeah. Right? So it's a place to go. It creates structure. Yeah. <clears throat> intellectual stimulation.
0: Yeah, well, that, that is a big aspect, I think. Stimulation, I would agree mm-hmm. on
1: that. Yeah, Right. Um, a place in our community. Yeah. A sense of power. I mean, we could go on and on, and it'll yeah. be different for different people. Yeah. But being able to create that list, and let's just say, give yourself the challenge to create 15 distinct things that work is giving you. Mm-hmm. Then the real question becomes, where will those needs get met outside of work? Mm -hmm. Because selling the business or inheriting wealth or retiring, those needs don't go away. Yeah. And when we look at work and meaning, those two things are intertwined.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, one of the things that happens almost everywhere we go, the first question we're asked, at least here in the U.S., I assume this is true for you as well, is, what do you do? Yeah. And, you know, I was getting my hair cut a couple of weeks ago, and I was in a hair salon, and blow dryers are going, and the woman across from me says, so what do you do? And I thought, oh, for heaven's sake, why is that a relevant question right now? We're both in the salon getting our hair done. It's a sense of identity. Mm -hmm. But I think that question is even a little more nefarious, Sasha. It actually feels like a social pegging question. So based on the answer that you give, the listener is deciding, am I above you or below you? Yeah, yeah. Where are we in our social order? So think about how terrifying that is for a business owner who is about to exit their business. What we often hear them say, when you've sold your business and someone asks that question, we often answer it with what we used to do. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's giving us our social status or all of those variety of things. So one of the things that was funny for me when I took off in the motorhome. You know, I was in I was in my mid to late 30s at the time. So I definitely did not fit the culture of motorhome travelers who are, you know, mostly in their 50s, 60s, and 70s. So I would back my motorhome into the space, and inevitably, someone would come over and want to know, like, what's your story? How is it that you're out here? And they would ask, what do you do? And my answer, I've developed a a variety of different answers to that question over time. But at that point in my life, I would say, what do you think I did? (laughs) And I let people guess, which was yeah. quite fun for me. I was on a little bit of an adventure to discover who was I? Yeah. How did people see me in the world? Yeah. How did I want to see myself? I'll tell you, not once did anyone ever guess attorney. Yeah. <laughs> I think I was kind of excited about that at the time.
0: I think that's a good sign. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Right, but often I got answers that were really surprising for me. Things like, um, I think you were an artist mm-hmm. or you were a sculptor yeah, or a bookseller or, or, or there were so many fascinating answers that came up and I loved seeing myself through the possibilities of other people's eyes.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting exercise, I bet. Uh-
1: mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, when someone asks me that question, what do you do? My answer is, about what? Huh? And I wait. And usually that shifts the conversation, and someone will say, No, I, I mean, what do you do for a living? To which I respond, Wait, you want to know how I earn my money? <laughs> truly isn't that an awkward question can you imagine if you just said that to someone so how do you earn your money and how much money do you actually earn yeah. are you more powerful than me or am i more powerful than you
0: yeah, yeah it's very interesting actually some some years ago i i, I stopped asking that question and i try to avoid it whenever i can you know just basically try when you, when i meet someone i try to have a conversation based not on what they do but you know just who they are and you know, whatever topic is available at that point in time.
1: It's a really interesting thing because often if if challenged about that question, people will say, well, I just want to relate to you. Mm. And my answer is we are not relating if we are simply mm. talking about money and status. Yeah, yeah. The way we relate are about things we have in common or things we want to know. How about if the question you asked instead is, what is the book on your nightstand? Mm-hmm. Interesting. What did you have for dinner last night? Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Which is also revealing if you answer that, I think.
1: It could be, but it creates a whole other series yeah, of topics. What do you care about? What are you passionate about? Yeah. What is the thing that sparks your interest right now? There's so many ways to ask that question. And I think the reason that I've gone down this little tangent with us is for an owner who is contemplating exiting their business this becomes an existential question
0: yeah who
1: am I if I'm not that I think it also can become complicated if um, their interpersonal relationship so perhaps their spouse has a different answer to that yeah who is your spouse if you are not the business owner There's some interesting status pieces that come from that. Yeah. And what do we have in common? We see it often with couples, you know, just coming back to the concept of launching and how we prepare our children to launch. Mm. But what happens for us? So if you imagine... Sasha, if you and I met each other, fell in love, we'd be like, oh, this life is so great. We would have uh, imaginings of what our future would be like. And then we have a child or two. And oh, my goodness, we barely see each other. Many couples lose touch with each other at that point. When the last child launches from home, often we see couples who catch sight of each other then and think, who are you? (laughs) I don't know who you are, and I don't even know if I want to know who you are. And often at that point, we see couples divorce or struggle to reclaim their relationship. It is the same for a business owner. So if all of the attention and focus or a vast percentage of it has gone into developing the business and the, the possibility of future wealth, as if somehow when that arises, all of these other challenges in our relationships will disappear.
0: Yeah.
1: So for many business owners and or their spouses, as the business starts to slide out of the way, and they catch sight of what I call relational grief, it is the, oh, I thought it would be different when we got the money. mm mm-hmm. And it's not one or both of
0: the money at all.
1: (laughs) It's not about the money. Instead, what happens is often they will double down on the business. So they will come back to, I'm just going to work harder on the business instead of letting the business move out of the way Mm. and having to face Mm. the reality of things are not how I thought Mm. they would be.
0: Okay. Yeah. Well, it makes sense, doesn't it? If if you, if you, well, but again, I mean, I think it comes back to the question, why, why, why is that question or those questions? It's not actually one single question, is it? But um, why are those questions not, not asked well in advance? Hmm. I guess that's where you come in, but.
1: Uh, <laughs> but, you know, we, we start our businesses. It's interesting if you, we spend a lot of attention in our cultures about the launch of businesses. Yeah right? There are accelerators and programs to help people launch a business. And there's a lot of questioning about the why and all of those things and and high attention and focus on the exit, the financial part of the exit, the transactional part of the exit. One of the things I say often is that this is a transition. It is not just a transaction. And when we focus on what is happening transitionally for that person, it is a life change to leave your business. You know, there was a a founder who I was working with on the West Coast of the U.S., and he had a software company. He was in his late 30s. He was going to net $16 million following the sale of the business, which is a pretty good chunk of change for Mm -hmm. that place in his life. And one day he realized, Who am I going to hang out with? All of my buddies have jobs. So he was shooting pool with his best friend one night and shared that story to which his friend said, boo-hoo, dude. I wish I had your sad little $16 million problem. You know, Sasha, the problem didn't go away. It just went underground. Mm. And then he started to feel ashamed about the fact that he didn't know what he would do with himself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I think you know if 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 you ask people, you know, what what do you do when you sell your business, or you know, it could be another capital event. Like, I I Mm -hmm. mean, some of our listeners are sort of families or people of wealth. I mean, they they are, but it's it's a similar thing when they prepare for transition, and then all of a sudden they're no longer responsible for the family money, etc. It's almost like a business, isn't it? And then Mm -hmm. then uh, you know, if you ask these people, then then they often say, well. I'm just gonna, you know, play golf, uh, uh travel, sit on the beach, have a pina colada or something like that. But it's just very I'm I'm sure that's quite satisfying when you do that for maybe a month or two, maybe even three. But there's a point where where it just becomes boring, I guess. And and I think people tend not to think about the time after that. Because really, if you think about it, it's quite obvious that 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 is not very fulfilling uh, in the long term.
1: I think that comes back to the early part of our conversation, which is those other needs that work was meeting for them do not get met by sitting on the beach or playing golf or traveling. So how will those get met? You know, if we come back to the story that is in the book, so the seller's journey is written as a business fable. It's the story of an owner one year after he sells his business. And he goes on a trip across Glacier National Park with his banker, his lawyer, his wealth manager, and the buyer of his firm. And I always say they all come back alive in case you're worried, because many people think if I had to travel with my banker and my lawyer, someone might not come back alive. Mm -hmm. And as they cross the glacier, They relate the physical obstacles that they're facing to the emotional obstacles that he faced in letting go of the business. It's written as a story so that the reader can fall into it and think, oh, I see myself in that. Mm. I didn't even realize. Like at one point, and I won't spoil all of the the tale because it was so much fun really to create, But at one point in the story, one of the characters is required to put his cell phone in a lockbox because they can't take the cell phones out on the glacier. And he has a meltdown about being separated from his device. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: And how many of us can experience that? So for a business owner, one of the things that happens, it's so funny, really. When you sell your business, who's calling you? Right? There was a man who I worked with years ago, and he said he had never once finished an entire round of golf without taking a call because he was important. Mm-hmm. Imagine what that would feel like. Yeah. So we have to look for the places where that will get met. Otherwise, what we see is folks exit their business, they can't deal with that anxiety of who am I, what will I do, and they hurry up and jump into another business. Mm-hmm without any good sense or, right, there are other things that they fall into that are more destructive.
0: Mm, Yeah. Yeah. I can see that happening. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, so I I guess for you, part of the answer, uh, you know, what do I do with myself was to help others uh, to go through that journey and development and ask those questions well in advance so that they can actually prepare for, for that exit and the, the, the transition
1: It was some of it. Can I tell you one of the things I did when I was on the the motorhome adventure? So I was running one morning with my dogs (laughs) and on the left side of the road was a dairy farm and on the right side of the road was a chicken farm. And I thought, I don't really know anything about farming. You know, I grew up in southern Ontario, Canada, but I didn't grow up on a farm. So I tied the dogs to a post and found the farmer. And I said to him, I don't know anything about farming, but I would like to. If I promise to come every day for a week and do anything you need done, and you don't have to pay me, are you game? (laughs) And he kind of stroked his chin a little bit and looked me up and down. Your listeners don't know, but I'm quite petite. And he looked me up and down. He was like, yep, wear boots. So the next morning, I showed up on the farm at 3 o'clock in the morning. which is way earlier than I'd been up in a really long time. And yeah, right. I didn't know farming starts then. And every day for a week, he had me do something new. So the first day of the week, uh, he had me bottle feed the newborn calves. Oh, that was way fun. Of course, I was coming back the next day. There was no doubt that I was going to reappear. Day two, I worked Mm -hmm. the milking machine. Day three, I did bookkeeping Day four, I drove a big tractor full of manure, which I thought being a lawyer had fully prepared me for that skill (laughs) set. And by the end of the week, it was shocking to me. Listen, it's not that I didn't know where milk came from, because I clearly knew milk came from cows. But seeing how much went into just that small stage of the process was remarkable to me. And it made me realize, oh, then there's the processing and even getting the milk from the farm to the processing plant to the packaging. What it did was it gave me a completely different perspective on work
0: Mm.
1: and how interesting it is that we value certain work over other work. Yeah. And so, one week out of every month for the next several years, I did a job like that mm. that I hope to never do again because <laughs> they were all terribly hard. I rode a lobster boat in Nova Scotia and I worked in a paint factory. And over and over, what I was in search of was a different perspective on work.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, I had a similar experience as a, as a, as a student when I went still went to high school but um, you know in summer jobs basically that made me value uh, manual work and 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 labor uh, in in a completely different way than than I used to before that and I have ever since so it's it's quite interesting I think everybody should do something like that
1: Yeah, and what we're talking about is really opening that sense of curiosity, right? Because for many people, listeners and others who we know, um, the concept of work, when it becomes so tied to our identity or to an economic engine, we can lose sight of the fact that work has a completely different meaning. So, often I, I will talk to folks who have exited their business, and then they start to think about, well, what, what kind of work will I do next? And I put work in quotes because they start thinking about it as, how can I earn the same kind of money I was earning in my last business? Mm-hmm. Or they take what they were doing and start to think about, well, where can I do that same job again, instead of really looking at what is the contribution that you are making from your place in the world, whether it is from an economic earning place or not. You know, there was a dentist who I worked with. Oh, this is so many years ago. But he came to me because he was burned out. He was sick of it. And he felt he was in this place in his life where He said, No one wants to come to the dentist. It's not like people wake up in the morning and say, Woohoo, today's the day I'm going to the dentist. And he'd been, he'd actually been quite, uh, yeah, he, he was in a little bit of a depression. And so he and I worked on a variety of things, just looking at what could. What could spark that for him again? And I introduced him to a nonprofit that was doing dental replacement work for boys who had been brutalized in the Sudanese War. So they were referred Mm -hmm. to as the lost boys. And many of those boys, when they were first captured as preteens, one of the things they would do is yank their teeth out of their head. Uh Certainly, if you've been brutalized like that, you will do most of what someone else tells you to do. So, it was a fairly large population of those boys. And I said to him, why don't you just do one dental repair and see if you like it? If you don't like it, we'll find something else. Sasha, I will tell you, the moment he saw that boy smile, Mm. everything changed for him. Yeah. For many years, he did a whole number of those dental repairs, and any patient who ever got in his chair would hear about this work that he was doing and it sparked not only how he thought about his own work but it changed the way his patients and his staff perceived the work that he yeah. was doing because of course they were working he was working on their mouth But they became part of this bigger cause and they would contribute money to the cause that he was working toward and if he had a vacation instead of them being crabby with the receptionist about why they couldn't get in to see dr so-and-so they would say oh is he off doing work with those boys this time (laughs) but the real change for him came when he heard his young son in the other room and he his son was telling a friend he had taken a picture of one of the boys, and was showing it to his friend saying, look, this is what my dad does, right? All of this changed. And when this man referred to the work that he did later, he never said he was a dentist. He said, I rebuild young men's self-esteem.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And if we come to the core of the work each of us does, there is the commercially valuable piece of it, and there is so much more.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it really, it, it often goes forgotten, doesn't it? Sort of in, in day-to-day life and, and uh, in the, uh, just the, the grind of things, I guess. <laughs> All right, well, I'm quite curious to find out how you how you um, approach these situations. I mean, w- what are some of the steps that you go through? Do you have a methodology or is it very much on a sort of personal one-to-one, individual type of bespoke Hmm. process yeah
1: it is always individual I mean I I will tell you there there must be some pattern to it but I haven't ever really watched for the pattern because each person is at a different place in their journey and where they're headed mostly for the past several years I've really been focused on helping advisors Mm -hmm. to develop the empathy for what their clients are experiencing, because it's very easy to step into the technical proficiency around the transaction. And I think it's easy for everyone to default there because the emotional aspects of it are a little more challenging and they are different for people, but you know, we can look at even the very first time that we poke at the financials of a business owner they're filled with shame. And not because there's anything to be ashamed of, but because as a business owner, we are used to knowing everything about our business. And suddenly someone is about to poke at it, and what if you find something? What if I don't know everything? What if you ask me a question and I don't know the answer? And that can stir up a whole lot of chaos.
0: Yeah, and I, I, I think you, know, you always find something. <laughs>
1: Always. And, you know, that process, I think of it myself, right? Even, even with my current business, when asked those kinds of questions, I have to watch for, oh, my defenses are coming up. Of course, I feel some fear in that moment.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, I understand it's, it's, it's quite a bespoke um, approach that you're you're um, using, um, but <clears throat> for the sort of self-starter, what would you say are some of the top three to five tips to get that process going?
1: Mm. So number one, recognize that every business owner will leave their business voluntarily or involuntarily. So I often hear <laughs> clients or
0: it's I'm sorry it's just pouring down here like is it
1: oh you've got rain well I'm in Arizona I certainly wish you could send some rain our way we're we're high desert today oh good
0: I just wasn't wasn't expecting that so Uh
1: uh-oh did did you have an umbrella or will you will you be soaking wet by the time you get home tonight
0: probably anyway we'll see about (laughs) that. well
1: Well, you know what you may stay and drink the bottle of wine you're like oh I would have come home but it was raining yeah (laughs) And now I'm sloshy. <laughs> so every business owner will leave their business voluntarily or involuntarily. Yeah. And I often hear people say, if I leave my business, and I always stop them and say, you know, the word is when, yeah. not if. Yeah. And so preparing for the eventuality, most business owners, when asked, when they will retire, will say five years. Five years is a really interesting timeline, whether that's accurate or not, because five years feels close enough, but not too close. So the question that I often ask owners is, if you could not continue in your work, what would be undone?
0: So Okay, so I see. So if, if an accident happened or something,
1: yeah. We're in the middle of a pandemic.
0: Yeah,
1: mm. How really interestingly arrogant we all are to yeah. think that we know when our checkout date is. You know, one of the questions that I like to ask, oh, this is, I'm having so much fun, by the way, <laughs> conversation. I like to ask, what's your number? And usually the number that comes up is the amount someone needs to retire, and then I'll say, oh, no, no, the other number. You know, I know the date I checked in to my life. It's on my birth certificate. What's the date you're checking out? Mm. Mm. Hmm. Interesting. We don't know that date, but take a guess. Well, you don't have to do it on air, but <laughs> <laughs> uh- for listeners at home, what's the date yeah. that you plan to check out? Yeah. And you may not be part of that plan. Okay. So now calculate how many weeks from now that is.
0: Wow. Yeah. That's an exercise.
1: And don't round up because, P.S., death will not round up.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) Wow. Death won't round up. So how many weeks? Now, of those, so I, you know, I did this recently. Um, with someone and we both did it. Cause I, I, it's fascinating. So I'm, I'm 57. I took the life expectancy chart and just said, assuming that I lived to the life expectancy chart, which yeah. by the way, we all know people who did not make it yeah. to that number. So let's not be arrogant about it, but just for purposes of this, <laughs> I used that chart and it was, let's say 1,400 weeks, something like that now the next question is how many of those weeks will you continue to devote to work instead of to the other part of your life Mm. oh there's a different question isn't it yeah and what i found was my natural inclination when i saw 1400 weeks i said okay a thousand i'll give a thousand more weeks to my work and then i realized oh 400 weeks that's all i'll have left uh-huh. i did the math you know i went to law school so i didn't have to do math so i'll have to use my little <laughs> cheat calculator here to do it but let's just do the math here 400 divided by 52 that gives me 7.69 years Ooh. oh that kind of pulled me up a little sharp didn't that, that,
0: it that sounds frightening
1: <laughs> would i be willing to only leave myself 7.69 years of post work life. Yeah. Oh, then I had to start rethinking that calculation, didn't I? Yeah. Now I'm like, well, all right, how many more years would I actually like in that? It's a fascinating exercise to come back to, you know, mortality is real. Yeah. It's why I say we all will leave our businesses. We all will leave this life. Mm-hmm. We have this tendency to pretend that we don't have to think about this, that somehow we'll decide to leave our business, and then we'll have all this period of health, and then we'll die.
0: Yeah.
1: It doesn't always go like that. Mm-hmm. One of the interesting things that happened for me on the motorhome trip Gosh, this quite a long time ago. But I went on, um, they called it a caravan. So I think there were 40 or 50 motorhomes. And we all went to Mexico together. And we drove down, got our motorhomes all facing out on the Sea of Cortez. It was beautiful. And then we went into town for supper. And one couple didn't show up. And they didn't show up. And they didn't show up. And someone went back to the campground. And he had had a heart attack and oh, died yeah. in his motorhome. Yeah. It was their very first trip. Mm. He had retired just a few weeks earlier. Yeah. They bought this motor home and were out on the trip. That was a very instructive moment in my life where I realized so many times we say, we'll work for this long period and then we'll retire and have fun. But often we we covered this earlier. You don't want to have fun with the person who you're retiring with. Or your body doesn't cooperate. Maybe you'd like to be hiking in the Alps, but your body says, well, maybe not. Maybe instead we'll go on a bus tour. Yeah. Blah, that's not so Indeed. much fun. And so really being, I think, one of the things that every listener can do is do that math for yourself, even if you do the high end and use the life expectancy chart, but then get really real. And what Mm -hmm. if that number is way less? Yeah. So here's something I did with a client. Um, He was preparing for retirement. And hmm, we were trying to figure out how he could shift this dynamic. So I said to him, he had a couple of adult children. He was married. I said, what I'd like you to do is step into the role of your oldest son 10 years from now. So can you and I use use this example? How old are you, Sasha? Uh,
0: I'm 49.
1: And how old is your oldest child? 10. All right. And so step into boy or girl? Boy. All right. So step into the role of your boy 10 years from now. He'll be 20 years old. Yeah. Now, from his perspective at age 20, write a letter from him to you. At age, tw- yeah, from him to you, from him as age 20, writing to you,
0: mm-hmm.
1: looking back on all of the things he most loved about that intervening 10-year period.
0: Between 10 and 20.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's from his perspective, not yours. He's yeah. writing to you. Yeah. Dad, does he call you dad? Oh, Papa?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, in German, but... <laughs>
1: right sorry of course (laughs) right from from his perspective papa these are the things that i'm looking back on Mm -hmm. that i loved so much from this last 10 years Mm -hmm. that might be very different than what you have planned for the next 10 years so i had this client do that from his oldest son and then if you're brave enough Offer that letter to the person who you've written on their behalf and ask them to comment on it. Is that what they want to be? Offer the letter to the person whose perspective you've written from and let them read it and have them comment on whether or not that's what they want to be looking back on.
0: Okay.
1: All right. So, using that example, I did this with a client. He wrote, his letter and shared it with his adult son who said, "Oh dad, that's crazy. That's like just what you, that's like your big ego talking. That's not what I want to be looking back on. Do you know what I want to be looking back on? I'd like for us to have spent this 10-year period going to a ball game at every baseball stadium across the country." Mhm. And my client was like, really? I didn't know you would want to do that. So then they set about on this process. And the very first year that they did this, they came here to Arizona where I live, which is where spring training often happens. Mm -hmm. And I went to the game with them on their very first one. And the son was so excited. He said, I can't believe you got my dad to be doing this with me. This is so great. So fast forward, every year they went to baseball games. And I, I don't know why... Men do this, but you will collect a ball cap from every stadium, even if you already have plenty of ball caps at home. <laughs> Maybe we'll have a conversation about why you do that. <laughs>
0: it's this collector's thing, you know, I think it's ingrained in the DNA somewhere. <laughs>
1: you're either, so the 2
0: <laughs> you're either collecting or hunting. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so the two of them had all of these ball caps and they'd been to many ball games. And fast forward. The son died unexpectedly of a mm. brain aneurysm. Mm. And the dad who was my client called me just bereft. You know, he said, I thought we were building these memories so he would have them of yeah. me.
0: Yeah.
1: I didn't realize that I might need these memories of him. And so we went at the memorial service, I asked him to bring all of the ball caps because there were certainly plenty of them, as you know. And each person at the memorial was invited to put on a ball cap and tell a story about this young man. And uniformly, every person in that room, when asked what mattered, they wished they had one more memory, Mm -hmm. one more day to make Mm -hmm. one more memory so, when we get really caught up with that question of what's my number, mm. what are we measuring? Are we measuring money or are we measuring memories? Yeah. And if you really want to take that exercise up a notch, do it from your spouse, each of your children, and your very best friend. Mm. Write three, five, nine of those letters and share them with those people. Get their feedback on what do they want to be looking back on in this 10-year period. Yeah. And then get busy building those memories. Yeah. Wow. We do an we do an excellent job, Sasha, of setting, you know, one, three, five 10-year plans for our businesses. Yeah. We should not leave our life out in the process.
0: Yeah. No, that's true. That's true. Um, yeah. Wow. I think, I think these exercises are really fascinating. I mean, it really digs deep, doesn't it? I mean, it, 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 it gets you thinking in, in ways that you just normally don't do.
1: Because it's easy to focus on the transaction. It's easier to say, I'll build the company to the next whatever that marker is for us. Instead of saying, oh, I will have built that marker and I will have missed my life along the way. And there's this illusion that somehow when we get the money, then we'll be able to buy back the life that we let go. And it's not there
0: yeah absolutely I mean it's something that that I've come to realize over the past few years is that you know i, I know it's a it's a phrase that's often used, but it's sort of it's about the journey, and that's mm-hmm. what it is isn't it i mean th- there's no end point i mean there certainly is an end point to life, but <laughs> exactly yeah. that's the reason why you should work to an end point, but you know enjoy the journey basically and make the most of the journey rather than some imaginary end point of something. Which may never come because, or it may not come the way you planned it.
1: Correct. And it is much easier to divert away from these questions. Yeah. And to focus instead on building our business or accumulating wealth or in some other approach. And yet we will all be headed toward the same exit. It will look different. For mm-hmm. each of us, mm-hmm. and so one of the things you know you can tell. I ask some pretty challenging questions yeah. of clients and their advisors. And personally, I think to be a good advisor, you should have done this work yourself.
0: Mm. Yeah,
1: because it is difficult to take someone else on a journey that you have not even contemplated yourself. Yeah. So what I tell uh, almost all owners is, when you're evaluating an advisor, can you? Learn from them what their exit plan is. How do they plan to leave their business?
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You'll get some interesting answers, I'm sure.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But we want someone who will accompany us on the journey and not just someone who will push us through the process. There are plenty of technically proficient advisors out there, proficient lawyers and investment bankers and brokers and wealth advisors. And the key is to choose someone who, excuse me, will take you beyond that. Someone who adds more than simply technical proficiency.
0: I, I bet that is very difficult to find in reality.
1: But those those who you seek out, who will walk on the journey with you and be a good guide, are worth their weight in gold.
0: Mm. And
1: why would we turn our life or our business over to someone who was not that? These are our most precious assets: Mm. our business, our life, our relationships, our children. Why would we entrust any part of that to someone who was not as courageous, or even more so than we are?
0: I I agree, but I, I think it's it's sometimes probably more a practical question uh, because, hmm. as a as a business owner who's not involved in in these sorts of transactions every day, you may not simply not have the the, the right connections.
1: Ah, but keep asking those questions right? That's one of the reasons why this is not a wait until the moment you wake up and decide yeah. you're going to exit your no. business. No. This is a process to be gone long before the exit arises. You know, if I, if I were to say, don't be me, yeah. that's what I would say. Don't do it the way I exited my business, yeah. where I waited too long. I waited until I couldn't do it a single day longer yeah. and said, I have to be out. Yeah. And you know, there's selling a business is not like selling a house. We're not just going to put a sign in the front yard and people will pull up with sacks of cash and buy our business on that day. Yeah. The truth is that for most owners, the process of exiting is at least nine months. Mm-hmm for yeah. many of them it is multiple years
0: <laughs> yeah yeah exactly i mean it's 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 something well it depends on the type of business i suppose but um i would think that for especially for small to medium sized businesses it's it's typically much longer than that absolutely
1: mm-hmm. i mean absolutely. if you just
0: take the the pure transaction pro, uh, phase that may be true but if if you know from the moment the business owner decides to sell his business and to exit until it's actually done the cash in the bank, and then he can start to concentrate on whatever he's come up with in the meantime, then I, I think it, it, it probably in most instances, it takes years rather than months.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, the tragedy is that less than one third of all businesses that go to the market yeah. successfully sell. Yeah. Yeah. Which means if we wait too long, we don't have the financial or physical or emotional or practical stability and stamina to make it through the transaction, which is why preparing long before for multiple reasons. One, it always takes longer than you think. Two, it doesn't always come when you are prepared. So be prepared so that when it comes, you're ready.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I think it also applies to the business itself. I mean, th- th- this goes more into the technical side. But a business that is not prepared for sale is often not sellable. Yeah, I mean, there, there are certain things that make businesses attractive to buyers, and and others don't. So you need to think with the mind of a buyer to make a business saleable. But that's that's a different different thing to talk about. I think we're, we're more on the on the emotional side of things here. <laughs>
1: But some of what happens, Sasha, is because the emotional part is hard, we divert away from it and say, let's look at how to make my business more sellable, which is a, a useful tool, and we must do it. But then that also feels hard. And so then owners say, well, forget it. I'll just work in my business. I'll just work on my business and deal with either of those things later, getting it ready for sale or getting myself ready for sale. And they keep trucking along. And next thing you know, five years have gone by and seven years have gone by and 12 years have gone by. And suddenly it is time to exit and neither the business nor the owner is prepared. Yeah. And that is a tragedy because it is way worse than just a business that fails. Yeah. For the bulk of business owners, harvesting the wealth from their business is their primary source mm. of financial capital.
0: Yeah.
1: So we can do all the best Monte Carlo simulations in the world. But if none of that capital pours in, then it doesn't, it's all for naught. So we spend a lot of time doing all of those those financial calculations when it is really what will happen. I had a fascinating call with someone earlier this week who is at the cusp of retirement, and he said, I just, I don't want to be going backwards. I said, oh, that's really fascinating. Tell me more. Because I, I have specialty training in work and financial disorders. So I'm used to hearing some funny little things like that. And so I said, tell me more about this going backwards. He said, well, I've spent all my life like, accumulating this. I don't want to start drawing down on it and watch the number go down. It's like, oh, this is going to be such an interesting conversation that we'll have about how it feels like going backwards instead of coming towards something. And you see the characters in the book, The Seller's Journey, that it is about having something that you are moving toward Mm. instead of feeling like retirement comes and you plunge off a cliff and all of the money starts draining. So we do such a good job on teaching people how to save. And then the question is, can you experience the pleasure and the joy from all that you have built?
0: Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yes, yeah, another well, it depends on how you how you look at it, isn't it? I mean mm-hmm. you you uh, hmm.
1: <laughs> we could go in so many directions, Sasha. I told you we would have a wide-ranging conversation <laughs> yeah, yeah. today.
0: I won't be sleeping tonight, I think. <laughs>
1: <laughs> You'll be up writing letters. <laughs> <laughs>
0: exactly, exactly. Uh, I, I heard you mention the term legacy a number of times mm. um, in our conversation so far. What, what's, what is a legacy in your books? what constitutes a legacy.
1: Yeah, for me it is the mark that we are leaving behind.
0: Yeah.
1: And we are always leaving a legacy. The yeah. question is is it the one that you want to be leaving behind? Mm-hmm. Are you doing this with intention? Yeah. In the way you have treated people in the way we show up, you know. Um there's a fun little story for me when it came time for me to go to college. Um my parents had not saved for that. And so I had some money saved and I had a scholarship, but I was short about $2,500. And I went to the local banker who uh, some of your listeners may be you know, close in age to me, but no adults had first names when I was a kid. It was all Mr. or Mrs. So-and-so. Yeah. So this man's name was Mr. Finn. <laughs> and I went to the bank and uh, applied for a student loan. And then I needed a guarantor, and I couldn't find one because that wasn't part of how my family was wired to guarantee money. And so I went back to the banker, and he made an unsecured student loan to me as a 16-year-old girl, which was pretty remarkable. I'm quite certain that was not bank policy. (laughs) Years later, I went back to ask him when I realized how significant that had been, that that really wasn't likely bank policy i went back to ask him why he did that and he had already died and you know i often wonder did he know what was happening in my world and the dramatic change that making that decision made in my life Mm -hmm. he definitely is a man who created a legacy that Mm -hmm. impacted my life yeah yeah and who are the lives that we're impacting we can sometimes get caught up that legacy means having our name on a building yeah. or on a scholarship fund or, or, or. But you know, if I were to ask you to tell me a story about your grandfather, do you wanna tell one? Well,
0: I'll, have, I'll have problems thinking of one that, that I want to tell now, but um, <laughs> it, it's, um, I, I don't wanna shy away from that, but I'm just so caught up in, huh. in, in my thought process now that um you're, you're you're catching me off guard there
1: no it's perfectly fine i realize i you're it's your podcast and i keep asking you questions
0: well <laughs> no, that's that well that's fine because you know we are in a conversation and it's i don't look right. at it as a as an as an interview but it's 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 fascinating because i think you know it, it's it's creating a legacy is is and, and you mentioned it earlier is it's probably more about creating memories rather than anything else um, of course, you have different aspects of legacies of le- of a legacy, and, and it might be the name on, on on a building too, but you know, that's just one one small part and probably the least significant of uh of a of a true legacy, I think. But of course, everybody has got their their own definition of what that means and what is important and what isn't. Um but I would Absolutely. Agree.
1: You know, I, I was working with a client who was really um he was ha- had been diagnosed with a terminal illness and um, his children were young. They were three children under 10. Mm. And so it was quite dramatic for him. And at one point he said, I don't feel like I achieved anything mm. in my life. And um, he'd been reading the obituaries, which was really fascinating. You know, many of us find ourselves drawn to that. But so he was reading the obituaries and he was like, I never got to be a C suite executive. And I feel like I just, I didn't achieve my potential. I was like, okay, here's your assignment. I want you to read obituaries for the next two weeks until our conversation. That's what I want you to do. So, you know, he was supposed to read them. And then I would ask him the question when we came for our next session. So two weeks later, we got on and I said, so tell me about One of the people who you read the obituary from, he goes, well, let me pull it out. I was like, no, no, no. I don't want you to pull it out. I want you to tell me what's stuck in your mind. And he said, well, not a lot stuck in my mind. I was like, exactly. Because are we writing our legacy to be read by strangers in the paper? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Or are we writing our legacy to be remembered by our children and our spouse and our friends and our neighbors? And her coworkers. Yeah. Because the follow-on question that I asked him is the one that I just asked you. Now tell me a story about your grandfather. Yeah. And it just poured out from him. And then the next story, and then the next story, and then the next story. That, to me, is legacy.
0: Yeah.
1: Not what we, not, you know, the 150 words that are shown in a newspaper somewhere, read once and mostly discarded.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, dear. (laughs) (laughs) Lots to do, lots to do.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Which is why you said, you know, do I have a bespoke process or, you know, do I have a system? I don't really have a system or a formula. I look at what is that person struggling with right now? That yeah. makes it difficult for them to keep moving forward into the next part of their life. We all know, uh, you know, you can think about someone who has a parent who's living in a house with stairs and they're aging, and you know they shouldn't live in the house with stairs anymore, and you can't yeah. talk them out of the house. What's happening there is they are struggling with the grief of letting go. Yeah. We face many of those same things as business owners.
0: Yeah.
1: I don't want to think about it. So I'll just continue to pretend it's not going to happen.
0: Yeah.
1: Pretend it's not a problem.
0: I think that's, that's probably generally true for, not, not just for business owners, but of course, I, th- I think, you know, for business owners, it's, it's, well, I don't want to say more relevant because it's relevant for everybody, but, you know, is that, that, that there is There is somehow more at stake because it's it's about the business, and if the business doesn't transition, then, you know, it, it might fail and people lose their jobs, et cetera. So there is a bit of a responsibility there, too. Um, but of course it's relevant for, for everybody. Um, it's, uh, um, yeah, it's, that's probably why the topic is more, more, even more difficult than it for, than it is for everybody. I would think.
1: Mm. It is simply the business owner playing out their own challenges with facing mortality.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's what we're seeing. It is, I don't think it is more or less difficult. What we see is a business owner who has come to grips with their own sense of mortality will also be able to exit. A business owner who is resisting the concept of mortality will find it almost impossible to also face the exit of their business. You know, I was working, I did a... uh, a retreat for a group of business owners and their spouses. And one man at the event said, well, I'm not going to retire. I mean, I'd rather die at my desk. And I was like, oh, that's an awful sound. And I said, why is that? He goes, because that's the only place I feel alive. Mm. Wow. Imagine what that's like to be the spouse of a person who says the only place they feel alive is at work. It's sad, really. It's sad. And so what did that couple really need? They needed a way to bring life back into the relationship they had and for him to bring life into his life other than just at work. Because what is the legacy that he would be leaving behind?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think it would be a lot less than he was probably hoping for. Because I mean, a a business, I mean, many businesses don't last forever. So, you know, it it may just fade away a few years after he's gone. And um, I, I think, you know, it comes back to the memories. That's what really counts, I suppose. For like, me. you know it's different for For
1: me, it is different. That's why for me, I look at you know the the past 20 years of my life have really been circling that concept of how does work, money and meaning yeah. come yeah. together to weave yeah. a legacy from my life? And the leaders that I generally work with are attuned to these kinds of questions. It's not for everyone. There are certainly plenty of leaders who would not want to do this level of inquiry. Yeah. They're not my clients. Mm. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean,
0: it has to be a match on a on that level too. Hmm. I I've got another angle I want to cover, and I'm just trying to think how we can how we can uh, transition for that. But I, but I think it's it's about. Okay, this 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 transition period is is quite an emotional uh, thing, obviously, and um, you you basically, um, I mean, your your clients are are business owners who who want to enter or have a view to enter that transition, but I think um, something that I've come across recently or over the past few years is that that um, many. Families or individuals of wealth have um, have an increasing interest in uh, direct um, company investments, mm. and I think that's. I don't want to go into the into the details of the reasons, but it's it, it's 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 because of the asset inflation that we have experienced in the stock markets and in, right. the, uh, in the bond markets, in the real estate markets, all over the place. And there's a lack of alternatives of you know where, where can you put your money and, and still de- generate a, a decent return so I think that's part of the reason why why they why they increasingly look at, at buying into companies and um, given the demographics in most of the western world I think uh, you know it, it can be expected that there's a, a huge number of businesses coming onto the market um, that is up for grabs basically because the owners, you know, are in that transition period. They want to exit their business, and I think there's a there's a there's a huge opportunity. But at the same time, um, I'm sure that there are similar challenges on the buyer side than there are on the on the vendor side. Or in other words what's your view Do you, would you agree that there's a huge opportunity for especially for for families i mean it could be applicable to to funds too but um i think especially for families in the sort of small to medium sized uh, uh, bracket to buy into businesses to buy legacy businesses and and to basically continue the businesses rather than just you know fold them up or or feed them into something some large corporate and 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 make them disappear more or less would you agree that there's a big opportunity?
1: I think there is. And then the question is, is it simply a financial play, or is the creation of a legacy business about something more?
0: Well, that's where I was going. I mean, uh, because I think if if on one side there's a family business or there's a there's a there's a business owner, mm-hmm. on the other side there's a family business or a business owner. and 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 I think the, the, the there's some, kind of match? And how can a buyer who's interested in investing in companies add value or bring value to the table? I mean, they, they need to develop that empathy that you were talking about to make it really tick because it is such an emotional thing.
1: You know, one of the things that we see play out in the book is how the, the buyer of the firm, the buyer, let me start over. <laughs> One of the things we say, we see play out in the seller's journey is the private equity buyer who acquires the firm Mm -hmm. of our prime character, Marty, and how he is invested. Of course, he intends to make uh, a good uh, revenue play by buying the company, but it's also the way he partners with Marty who is selling the business. And I don't want to spoil the story, so I'm torn between giving you enough detail and and spoiling the story. But it is about finding a buyer and a seller who have similar interests.
0: Yeah,
1: so the question is do I think there is a good financial play to be made for um partners of wealth to acquire? businesses yes if that is a legacy decision for something beyond just the money not separate from but beyond it there are different questions that come into play Mm
0: -hmm.
1: yesterday morning um i spoke to a group of business owners who are preparing to exit and one of the questions they had was how do i choose the right buyer
0: Yeah,
1: which is really interesting and you know our conversation really turned around values and not all money is the same
0: yeah
1: and so for one of the one of the owners who was on the call his primary question was will my employees and my community be cared for yeah by the buyer and so as a buyer what is the legacy is the legacy economic only or is your legacy investing in that community Mm -hmm. you know if we roll back to an earlier time corporate stewardship was different where there was a sense of responsibility to the community
0: yeah i think it was much more pronounced in the past than it is probably now Although I think we're, we're going back into that direction to a degree.
1: And I think that's also part of the, the thought process about legacy. Can both things happen? Can you have a successful financial return and build strength in a community? Are those mutually exclusive? I think we've been seeing a lot more in the press. There have been groups of CEOs who have committed to higher value interests mm-hmm. to all stakeholders.
0: Yeah.
1: So those are all interesting questions, though, to have with your clients where we're saying, what does the concept of legacy mean for you?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I I think. um,
1: Did you get what you wanted there? I'm not sure if we, if we hit on what you were asking.
0: It was was an open question. So I wasn't, I wasn't expecting a particular answer. It's just something that, that I've been thinking about because we as a business are looking into buying uh, other small and medium sized businesses at the moment. And um, that's something I've come across in my discussions with, with vendors. And I mean, Often on the you know cover, it's it's very much about the money, but um, I don't think that that uh, that is the real driver at the end of the day, and, and mm-hmm. it's it, it's often about something else than the money. Or as you say, you know, not not all money is equal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the question is, how as a buyer can you can you um, um, well not generate that, but how can you build that trust? And, uh, you know, give give the, the, the vendor what, what they're looking for and how can you find out about what they're actually looking for rather than just the money.
1: So something that is an interesting, there's so many fascinating ways for us to take our conversation. <clears throat> I love to know why an owner started their business.
0: Yeah. Why this yeah. business? Yeah.
1: And why this business this way?
0: Yeah.
1: So things like, you know, as as founders, sometimes we can get very invested in our logo or our signage.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> and what might it be like as a purchaser of a business to truly understand the his, the history of the business and what it meant? Yeah. And what if you were as invested in... Maintaining some of that as you build the company forward. Like we often think about um, the intrinsic value of a brand, Mm -hmm. right? So we'll just use, we'll use Coca-Cola because everyone knows Coca-Cola. And so that logo has particular brand value. But if we change the formula, Of Coca-Cola, people don't like it, apparently, (laughs) when they mess with the formula. So when we're looking at what is the legacy of Coca-Cola, you could probably make it more cheaply and use more chemicals. Although I don't know how many chemicals are in Coca-Cola, I suspect a good number anyway. (laughs) Maybe you can't put more chemicals in (laughs) Coca-Cola. But... What would it mean to buy Coca-Cola? And are you keeping the legacy of that? Or is it strictly a financial play? Yeah. Those are all interesting questions as you look to buy businesses yeah. as a buyer and as a seller, understanding where is the commonality. And for some sellers, they will reach a point where they just say, you know what? I don't care. Yeah. I want my money. And what you do with the company is your business. I'm not going to worry about it afterwards. Yeah. And for some buyers, they will say, it's not your business. I gave you the money. Now you don't get to say what I do with the business. But I think there is a section of buyers and sellers who can agree that there is something more that is happening than strictly the transfer of economics from one party to another. And that by entrusting my precious baby to you. To carry it on to the next layer yeah. and we see that play out with the characters in the book which is really fascinating about what happens when you entrust your business to someone else and choosing the right partners on both sides
0: uh, i'm curious to continue reading it now. oh i'm so tickled
1: <laughs> i'm glad it arrived and i'm sorry it arrived so late but oh, i'm
0: sending it in the first place I mean, oh you're very welcome Okay, I'm I'm conscious about time a little bit. Um, I've got many more questions, but um, well, I, th- I think I need to abbreviate a little bit. But
1: <laughs> you will take pieces of this, and then you'll say you'll come to me at another time and say, you know what? Let's do a separate conversation about this, and we'll do that as well. I'm always I open. I
0: will, and actually, I I say that to all my guests, but I actually mean it because I, I think most of them have so much to say and to tell. And it, it probably is a good thing to think about, you know, take take one aspect of the conversation and have a completely separate conversation about that, just that one aspect. So-
1: and truly, Sasha, if if when you're going through and you're doing your editing and you say, I like this, but I want to dive more deeply into this one piece to round out this episode, mm-hmm. I'm happy to record either more or re-record a section yeah. with you. Okay. So well, feel it. free to do that. That is not uncommon for me that, you know, I've covered a whole lot of things. And then a host might say, you know what, I need a little more about this topic. Can we dive back in? And I'm happy to do it.
0: OK, well, I may come back on that. Um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm quite curious in, in terms of your own legacy. You know, mm. where are you with that? And, and are you happy with that? Do you think that mm. or where, where do you still want to go?
1: I have a really interesting piece of my own legacy. I'm definitely not done with it. Um, I would say, if I were to sum up the piece of my legacy, the the phrase that I have around it is permission to care. Mm -hmm. Over and over, that is what I find playing out for me in almost all of the pieces of my, my work, both paid work and life work mm-hmm. is around finding ways to give people permission to care more deeply. Uh-huh. So several years ago, <clears throat> I started a little project. Um, it wasn't intended to be anything. You know how that happens sometimes in your life? You start something and then the next thing you know, maybe that's your podcast.
0: Podcast, exactly.
1: (laughs) Like I just started this thing and then it became something else. So I was doing some grief work of my own around um, the death of a child. Mm -hmm. And I started to build these little boxes. So I took like shoebox size boxes and I would pack them with Little gifts like clothing and school supplies and toiletries, and give them to children who are in foster care. Uh-huh. So I packed one box, and then one box became ten boxes, became a hundred boxes. And they were all over my house. They were like stuffed under the bed and in closets and under things. And I stopped letting friends in the house because I really couldn't explain this thing that I was doing. (laughs) It was getting a little bit out of control. And like I said, one became 10, became 100. And some girlfriends who were a little concerned about me... Um, I don't know exactly what they thought was going on, but I would stopped being so social. I think they were a little, maybe a little worried about my mental health. So they invited me to lunch. And when they arrived at the house, they stormed the front door and kind of forced their way in. <laughs> and when they got in and saw all these boxes everywhere, they were like, what is going on? And I said, I don't really know. I just, I can't seem to stop making them. <laughs> and so they said, well, they're fun. We want to make them too. So they started making them and like the old, there was an old shampoo commercial in the seventies called Germac, which she tells two friends who tells two friends who tells two friends. And that started happening. And we were building hundreds of these boxes. And eventually we were delivering upward of 15,000 boxes a year. Wow. It was something that was not intended to be something and kind of spun out. And so we were delivering gift boxes to um, some children in a foster care center in Chicago, Illinois. Mm -hmm. And I set up this, as I can tell you, this, you know, sometimes we have a project that takes on a life of its own. So we were delivering 500 boxes to children in this foster care setting in Chicago. We set up a like a pizza party where all the kids would come to the community center and they'd get all sugared up on pizza and Coca-Cola <laughs> and cookies and then each child would get a box. Mm-hmm. So I always shipped more boxes than we needed because you don't want to be in the place where someone isn't getting a box. So I arrive at the center with all my volunteers and the coordinator says, we're short one box. I was like, what? She's like, well, we have lots of boxes for little boys, but there's a 17 year old boy and we don't have a box for him. I was like, Oh, good Lord. How did this happen? So I said, show me the boy. So they take me to this, this young man who is really like a man-boy. He's like a boy-man, right? Because he's 17 years old. Yes. He's quite tall. He's got whiskers. And, you know, I say to him, I'm so sorry, but there's been a mistake. And right away, I see his body tense. Mm-hmm. Because mistake never goes well in the mm-hmm. life of these children. It's not like, oh, we have a mistake. There are five families vying to adopt you. And so I said, look, here. his name is Thomas. And I said, Thomas, we have a box for you. It's in the warehouse, but it's not here now. And he goes, oh, don't worry. This is just for the little kids. I was like, just stop. Will you play along with me? For just tonight, you can be any age you want to be. And then we'll swap out your box for an age-appropriate box next week. Would you like to? I don't want you to be left out. And he said, really? I said, yeah, really. He said, could I be five? (laughs) I was like, yes, you could totally be five. So we get him a box. And then the way this always played out is once every child had a box, then we would do a little countdown, three, two, one, and they all open their boxes at once, which is an amazing sound. I hope never leaves my ears, the sound of hundreds of children with these boxes. So the boxes fly open and I was near Thomas. And when he reaches into his box, the first thing he pulled out was a size of four toddler Superman underpants. (laughs) And he holds them up and he says, I don't think these drawers are going to fit, (laughs) ma'am. So much laughter. And then he had a yo-yo and a kazoo. And I wandered off to other parts of the room. And near the end of that night, uh, he found me. And he said, thanks so much. I thought I would be left out. I was like, no chance. We were never going to leave you out. And he said, I know I'm going to get a box next week, but could I keep the stuffed animal from this box? I was like, oh, of course. In fact, you keep the whole box, the stuffed animal and everything. And I learned later that night that he had been five years old when he went into foster care and mm-hmm. had never returned to his home.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And for many years, we built these boxes and delivered them. And it's a project that I let go of and happens on its own now, that I don't need to be the one who makes it. But years later, I met a woman who had been on that particular delivery trip with us, who decided to become a foster parent.
0: Wow.
1: And two years ago, I had dinner with her and her husband and the children that they were adopting, who they had been foster parents for. So when I look at the legacy pieces of my life, certainly I have built a business that I'm proud of. And I've done work with people. But the things that I'm, when I think about my legacy, in the end, what I'm truly doing is giving people permission to care about something so much greater than just the money. Yeah. Do we have permission to care about the mark we are leaving from our life?
0: It's uh, yeah, nicely put. I like it. Great, yeah,
1: hmm. wow. Um, there's a long answer to your question,
0: but yeah, well, that's what he what we're here for. Although, as I said, you know, I'm conscious about time, we have to, oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, maybe we should just call it day at, at, at this point because I, I, I really do have a number of more questions, but I, I, I don't think, I don't want to overstretch it. Um, <laughs> but but um, I have a few questions that I really want to ask. Um, and one of the questions I always ask is...
1: Will you edit all of that, like our laugh, our, our silly no, no, metal no. stuff, you'll leave not- it in, art. <laughs> <laughs> Which is perfectly fine, uh, you know.
0: Exactly. <laughs> um well I mean just on the off chance that one of our listeners has something that that you um are in 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 need of I mean any sort of support or or information or help that that you you are looking for at this point in time this is the time where you could uh you know bring it on air and uh, maybe somebody will listen and and Mm. help you out so is there anything any support that you need or anything that you're looking for, any contacts, any network or.
1: I love that. That is such a really wonderful piece of your podcast. (laughs) I love that. Um, You know, I'm always looking to speak in front of groups that can benefit from this, from this work. So speaking about the psychology of business owners mm-hmm. and what makes it hard for them to let go yeah. or the concept of bringing meaning to their legacy. Yeah. So if there's someone out there who says, you know, I would love for you to talk about this with yeah. our group. I would love that. Good. And, you know, we, we said it at the beginning, but I have spoken on three continents. There are some others I haven't made it to yet.
0: Which ones are those?
1: just <laughs> the one the ones that i have spoken on well the ones I that i haven't
0: yeah the ones that oh. i haven't
1: because so of- yeah so i've spoken in uh north america obviously in yeah. europe and in south america but look at all the rest of the world that i haven't yet made my merry way to yeah. to speak about these topics and i think they're universal
0: yeah well absolutely absolutely So if anybody listens from any of the other continents that you haven't covered, (laughs) maybe, maybe we'll find someone. Okay. So, so uh, if, if somebody says, yeah, I I want Denise to uh, speak to my group on uh, in Africa, for example, where can they find you?
1: Yeah. My website is Mm DeniseLogan.com. And you can email me if you like at denise at deniselogan.com. Great. Thank I'm always you. happy to respond to just notes. Sometimes people will write and ask me a question. I'm happy to always respond, Good. send great. you to someone else if I can't solve it.
0: Yeah, great. We'll put the details in the in the show notes too so people don't have to take a note of this. And now I've got my, my signature question that I like to ask everyone. And, and that is, if there was one thing and only one thing you could change in this world, um, in our society, the planet we live on, you know, that sort of thing, what would that be, just one thing?
1: I would let all work have equal value so that we would choose the work that we are most in love with instead of resigning ourselves to that which pays more but which drains our heart.
0: Yeah. Ah, I love it. Good
1: answer.
0: Nice, nice. Well, Denise, um, as I said, I I could ask a lot more questions, but um, I think we'll we'll call it a day for now. Thanks a lot for being here. Uh, It was a very, very thought-provoking conversation, uh, I think, and I'm uh, going to draw a lot from it personally, but I also hope that uh, all our listeners will take a lot out of it. what I'm planning to do in the future is basically summarize the, the key learnings for each of the episodes. And I think your summary is going to be quite long.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it was so much my pleasure to be here with you. And you know what? I hope you'll send me one of the letters that ah, you write.
0: Okay. I'll, I'll take that as a challenge. Uh, mm-hmm. I really did make a note. And I think I will go through that exercise. So um, I will. I will. Lovely. Great. Well, thanks again for being here. And um, well, as I said, maybe we'll have a follow-up conversation at some point uh, about a particular aspect that we haven't covered or that we haven't covered deeply enough. So thanks for being here. And uh, I hope to see you on this podcast again quite soon.
1: I look forward to it. Be well.
0: Bye.